So on one hand, according to the advanced analytics, I'm the best I've ever been as a hitter. And then every time I'm digging in the box, I'm looking up and I'm hitting 185. It's like, well, what am I missing? What's going on? I, I just don't understand this. And That's Diamondbacks first baseman Christian Walker talking about how his process didn't match his results in the early part of the season. Christian's our lead guest on this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We'll be talking to him about how he's been defense this season as a hitter and how he's played terrific defense at first base this season in the field. He has the best numbers in MLB for defensive runs saved there. We'll also be joined by SIS video scout Alex Iser, who writes for Pitcher List. He did a couple of statistical studies for us. We'll get his thoughts on those. And then our usual spot with Bobby Scales, we'll also have Brandon too. Brandon's one of the instructors at our scout school. They're going to talk about a Japanese slugger you need to watch and a few other things as well. Let's start things off with Christian Walker. We welcome in Diamondbacks first baseman Christian Walker, who's having the best offensive season of his career, having having cleared the 30 home run mark before September 1st, and the best defensive year. He's the runaway leader at first base in defensive runs saved. Christian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So the first question we always ask players when they come on is kind of a where did it all begin kind of story. And with that, I mean specific to your defense and the way that you've played first base. What's your defense origin story? So I've played first base most of my career. I think what's changed more recently where, where I've taken the most strides for myself is, is just learning how to practice defense. I think for a while, you know, when you're younger, everybody says, you know, work hard, take a lot of reps. It's, but, but, but for me, I felt like nobody really taught me how to get better at defense other than just taking ground balls and, and practicing. And, and that's, that's helpful and it's beneficial. And I think a certain amount of reps help development to some extent, but I feel like in the last three or four years and, you know, really working with, with Tony Perez Chica and some of the great defenders that I've crossed paths with here, Nick Ahmed and Paul Goldschmidt, you know, even outfielders, uh, you know, Peralta was, was a great outfielder, but, but seeing them and how seriously they take their practice and how fast they practice. And it's not necessarily about taking a hundred ground balls every day, but the 10 ground balls, the 20 ground balls that I take, I'm going to treat them like game speed. I'm going to act like there's a runner running the bases. I'm going to try to make sure my throwing lane is open. You know, I'm going to entertain different scenarios. I'm going to play. I'm going to take ground balls from a shifted position. I'm going to take ground balls from shading the line. Like just taking 50 ground balls at a straight up position and fielding them at half, you know, half effort and throwing them back in. I think it can be helpful. But for me, really developing as a defender came from how I practice, practicing fast, practicing hard. And, and taking every rep very seriously. Were you a first baseman as a kid? I was a catcher for a bit. High school, I was I was an infielder, third base, first base, a little bit. I uh, went into college as a third baseman uh, and then eventually transitioned over to first base and, and got drafted as a first baseman. What was the thing that kind of flipped the switch that got you to the point where you felt like really comfortable before you even became a pro? You know, I've always, I've always trusted my hand-eye coordination a lot. You know, I think there's, I think there's a certain skill set, a baseline skill set. I think it would be foolish to sit here and say that, you know, it wasn't about, you know, there's, there's a baseline talent for sure. I think with every professional athlete, there's, there's a, there's a baseline. And I think it's about how you, how you grow that and how you expand off of that. I think, I think there's always room to grow. There's always, I call it, it's, it's the 1% game. If I can do something today to make me 1% better than yesterday, it was worth it. You know, and if I can do that again tomorrow and again tomorrow, and then you look back at the end of the season and, you know, you're, you're a much better, much different player than you were when you started the year. So, you know, anybody can get 
1% better today. You don't have to be a gold glover by the end of the day. You don't have to, you know, save the game by the end of practice today. It's, it's just about getting 1% better and making sure you're there, you know, when the team needs you. Does it feel like you've had a better defensive season because you're at like 16 at the time that we're talking in terms of runs saved and everybody else is at like five. And I'm just curious if, if you can feel the difference between like this year and a year where you have like eight to 10, or if it's just kind of like, Oh, I play and I block that out a little bit, a little bit of both. It's not something I'm, I'm really actively thinking about. That's generally how I am about numbers period. Like I know about what my batting average is, but I couldn't tell you like, over the last week where it's gone from this to this and this to this, like I'm a better player when I focus on, you know, just being in the moment and, and the at bat at hand or the, or the, you know, the pitch that's being delivered at hand. It's, it's, it's a little bit less for my brain to worry about. If I, if I know the info, it, it can become a little bit overwhelming for me. So I try to just, just dose it just a little bit of awareness and, <laughs> you know, try to try to focus on the play, but also, I, I, I think the biggest difference for me right now is just confidence. I feel, I feel very confident in my, in my ability defensively, you know, whether that's just, we could chalk that up to having a good year or, you know, some good luck in a sense of, you know, the plays that I'm diving for, or when the, when the pick shows up, there happens to be a guy on third base, you know, or, or whatever, whatever the circumstances are. I think there's, there's an element of right place, right time to it, but in the same sense, I, I do feel like I'm more confident than I've ever been in, in my defensive ability. Have you done anything to, because the numbers indicate that you've been especially good covering the, the ground in the first base, second base hole. And I know that they play pretty wide sometimes, wide at first base. Have you done anything that would make us think, oh, okay, it, it makes sense that he's gotten better at that? You know, I felt like I've always been able to have pretty good range. And then I, I think getting comfortable playing in the hole, knowing the speed of the runner, understanding how far I can get off and still get to the base when there's a ground ball to shortstop and make sure I give my shortstop enough time to set his feet and make a good throw. And he's not trying to hit a target on the run. So just, just like really understanding what's expected out of me and what the team needs. I think, you know, you, you get a, you get a bad runner up. I can, I can take a few more steps over and, and really try to cover that four hole. But uh, you know, another big part of it is having other really great defenders around me. You know, regardless of who's playing second base, whether it's Marte or Rojas, having a lot of confidence in those guys and and just being on the same page like, hey, hey, I'm going to play over here. So if, you know, if there's a ground ball hitting the hole, give me an extra second to get to the base and, you know, don't, don't make me try to catch this ball on the run. And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a team effort as far as like being on the same page as your other infielders. And can you explain how uh, your positioning is determined? Yeah, for the most part, it's it's on percentage, percentage and of like hard hit ground balls based on that hitter. So like generally righties, I'll be in the four hole lefties. Most of the time they're straight up. If that guy has a knack for hitting balls down the line, uh, you know, they'll have me shading the line or a step towards the line. It's, it's, I think most of it, it's not just like percentage of ground balls. It's, it's percentage of hard hit ground balls. So they're going to put me where the hardest one, the quickest one is going to get to me and then hope that if it's side to side, it, it won't be his hardest bullet. So I'll have the time, I'll have, you know, an extra step to get to it. So speaking of hard hit balls, I watched an array of you making ridiculous catches on line drives last night. Uh, you had one versus Schwarber, you had one versus Greg Allen, you had one versus Profar, you had one versus Rogers. And I was kind of reminded of the, it, it almost felt to me like you were a soccer goalie making a save or just even a hockey goalie on a really good shot. And I'm curious if you can take us through any of those plays or just speak to trying to defense those in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the corner, we're, we're pretty close to those hitters. 
as you were saying, I'm a, I was thinking to myself, a couple of them are righties, a couple of them are lefties. So some of those are probably four holes. Some of them are straight up. The most recent one was Schwarber. They just came through the other day. It's, it's, it's reaction. There's not a lot of time to think. There's not a lot of time to really process what's happening. It's, it's, it's like, that's the ultimate trust is like, can I react? Can I be in a position to just react when this ball's hit? You know, you get a big lefty like Schwarber up and he hits it 111, 112. You know, there's really not much thought <laughs> at all. It's, it's kind of just react and, 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 you know, that one, that one, you know, happened, happened to work out. But I think, I think you, you mentioned being a soccer goalie. I, I think there's something there where playing first base, the dynamic that, you know, the, the nature of the position is like, I don't, I don't have to throw the ball across the infield after I field it. So a big, a big focus is on catching the ball, like whether it's a ground ball or a line drive or a short hop, putting myself in a position to keep it in front or knock it down or just, just catch it. You know, my pitcher will be there. If I have time, I can step on the base. So understanding that I don't have to throw the ball, maybe, maybe give me an extra second, I think could help when it comes down to just catching it and keeping it in the infield. Do you have a, a favorite play from the season? Honestly, I think that one from Schorber a couple of days ago was probably my favorite. I felt felt like a super athlete on that play. I don't, <laughs> and I'd like to know what, what my vertical was. It may have been a career high. That was a rocket. It really, it really was a highly impressive catch. Now, speaking yeah. of highly impressive catches, segueing to this, about a month ago, I wrote an article that was titled, You Want to See Good Defense? Watch Christian Walker Field and Watch Christian Walker Hit. Now, you're on a pretty good hot streak right now, but it hasn't always been that way this year. We talked about your D, but the other thing that's kind of going with you this year is that the defense against you, two things have happened. One, you've gotten shifted very aggressively, and early in the season, that seemed to be taking down your, your numbers a little bit. And then two, it by our tracking, we track like essentially what are web gems, and you were the leader in like web gems against for much of the season. And that's a lot of things to talk about there. Let me start with the, the shifting aspect first. It seems like you've compensated for that now, but what was the experience of trying to go through that like in the early part of the season? Yeah, it's frustrating, first and foremost. It's you feel like you're doing your job, you're doing you're doing things well, I'm executing the way I want to, and you're not getting rewarded for it. It's like it's the ultimate frustration. It's like, what am I missing? Like you want to take a step back and try to figure out like what 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 am I doing? What are these other hitters doing where they're getting the ball to fall and I'm just hitting it right at guys? And so you start digging in more, you start digging into, you know, some of the more advanced stuff and to be honest, that's that stuff helped me in this situation because I look at barrel rate and walk percentage and swing and miss in the zone and you know average launch, average exit below, all all the you know the typical things, and they were better and more consistent and higher than they've ever been in my career. So on one hand, according to the advanced analytics, I'm the best I've ever been as a hitter, and then every time I'm digging in the box, I'm looking up and I'm hitting 185. It's like, well, what am I missing? What's going on? I I, I just don't understand this and. Some people just say like, you're very unlucky. And it's like, yeah, I could, I could chalk it up to luck. Maybe the first month, maybe the first two months, maybe the first half of the season. But you look up at the beginning of August and it's still the same. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe the shift is just effective against me. Like maybe it's not luck. Maybe I'm just very predictable on certain parts of my game. So it's, it's like drawing that line of like, what, what is worth making an adjustment? What is, what it, what could, you know, what could get worse before it gets better? Right. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to drop down to 150 trying to get my average up above 200. Like it's right. It's like a very, it's a very sensitive give take situation. So for me, digging into the advanced and seeing, seeing that I was executing better than I ever have helped me, right. Trust my process and, and stick to what I'm doing and just play the long game, right? Like having my hitting coaches tell me like, if you, if you keep putting this product out over 162, when we look up at the end of the year, everything will be where it should be. 
So, so the advanced numbers really help in that situation. Like, yeah, it's frustrating to see you're the most unlucky player in baseball, but it's also really comforting to see you have, you know, the, the third highest barrel rate and, and all these other numbers that go along with it. So, so just, just like trust in my process, even though it, when it feels like maybe something else needs to be done. And I think looking back, that was, that was helpful. Have you gone to, you, it looks like you've gone to right field a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly something that's just kind of been happening. I, I, I didn't want to lose, I didn't want to lose slug trying to gain average points. I still wanted to do what I do well and, and help the team and bring to the table, you know, what helps the team the most. And that's me being able to drive runs in and, and split gaps and hit the ball out of the ballpark. Right. I can, I can put a point on the board with, with the swing. So understanding what I do well and what the team needs out of me, but also, you know, when I get to two strikes and a team's been pitching me well and they're throwing me a lot of sliders away is, does it make more sense here to try to drive this ball out of the park or does my team need me to just maybe poke a single the other way and, and pass the baton to the next guy and trust that the hitter behind me is going to do the job. And so it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of maybe understanding how guys are pitching me, understanding what I can still do to help the team without just trying to launch the ball out of the ballpark every time. Two more quick ones here, just before we let you go. The other aspect of this, I mentioned it is that there's all these balls, particularly from the first three months of the season. It's like a dozen balls where guys made ridiculous plays against you. Is there one in particular that, that comes to mind where you're just like, how the F did he do that? For sure. There was one that was like extremely heartbreaking. Uh, there, was, there was two. They were both early in the season. One was in New York against the Mets. I was in like maybe an 0 for, I don't know, 0 for, maybe a 1 for 10 or something early in the year, trying to get off to a hot start, feeling like I'm hitting balls hard, not, not getting anything to show for it, and hit a ball to right center off one of their starters, Peterson, I believe it was. Felt like I smashed it. There was like a little bit of wind blowing in from right. I think it was McNeil ran back and made a really good play on it, but it was like, I was like, man, that's my best bolt. Like if I, if I don't get it rewarded on that, like what am I ever going to get a hit again? And then another one was maybe that same road trip. We went to Washington. I smashed a ball to center field and Robles went back and snagged it. Just like classic, classic Victor Robles play. Think, think he got him burnt. And then all of a sudden his closing speed and he gets there. But I want to say I hit, maybe hit that ball 112 or like 114. But again, like when you, when you execute exactly how you want to, and you're just over. It's like that's it's just heartbreaking. But those those are those are some of the two that, that stand out for sure. I actually I thought you were gonna say the Riley Green diving catch that he made against you. That one was pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. All right. I'd like, to, I'd like to it'd actually be fun to go back and look at them all, I think. Yeah. So to close, uh, a chance to shout out a teammate or two. What is something final month of the season, you guys are essentially you're playing spoilers, you're trying to get to five hundred, trying to finish as high as you can in the standings past the giants what give us someone else and something about that player that we should watch in the final month of the season okay so josh rojas okay and his baseball iq it's it's incredible the the things he sees the things he thinks about the way the games he plays it's such a game within a game right like not elite speed but has a has a lot of stolen bases and and a lot of bases that really aren't even close plays at all like like just the the the, the the little nuggets that he can pick up on the trends, the patterns, messing with guys, making them think he's going to run. And then just when they let their guard down, that's when he takes the base. Understanding understanding how guys are pitching him and being able to sit on pitches and getting it and then executing. Like I can I, I can be a guest hitter, but if I if I guess right and a guy throws a slider, I'm swinging at it. I don't care where it is. I'm like, oh, I guessed, you know, like here's the slider and, and I'll chase it. 
Like, so, so being able to execute when you guess right and sit on pitches is, is a huge thing. And, you know, I've learned a lot talking to Roe and I, I love, I love playing with him, hitting behind him, hitting around him, you know, playing infield next to him. It's, it's the baseball IQ with him is, is a lot of fun to play with. And then outside of that, I would say just the whole Diamondbacks team and, and the dynamic, you know, that the speed we've, we've had recently, I, I think is a lot of fun. And I know me personally, I'm curious to see how, how this, this young, speedy, fast-paced team can, can play out this last month. Christian Walker, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck in your future. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And we're joined by Alex Eisert. Alex is one of our video scouts. He also works for Pitcher List, and he did a piece on a data point that we collect here, checked swings. He's done two pieces this year. We'll talk about both. He wrote, what a swinging strike really represents is the gold standard of pitcher deception. A batter typically swings and misses when a hurler leads them to falsely believe that a ball will end up in their wheelhouse. But what about check swings? They require a degree of commitment from the hitter, but often input from the umpire as well, and they certainly involve pitcher deception. Hey, Alex, what were you looking for with this one? Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I have long been interested in deception in pitchers. My background is in cognitive psychology and perception, and my thesis work was applying that to statistical modeling. And so I noticed uh, in my work as a video scout that we were tracking check swings in an interesting way. And, you know, not only check swings that were appealed, but also check swings that happened on called strikes and check swings that happened on balls that weren't appealed. And I wanted to see if that had any meaningful relationship to other kinds of, of what I typically thought of as deception, such as swing strikes and taken strikes. So what did you find? So I found that basically, if you're looking at check swings where the batter is, is rung up, it's really tough to parse that out from swinging strikes because in the scorebook, they're, you know, basically denoted as swinging strikes and check swings in general, the same thing goes because a lot of those check swings are when the batter is rung up. And then a lot of those check swings are on called strikes. So that gets lumped in with called strike percentage. So as I went through my analysis and I kept parsing and parsing, what I found was that check swings on pitches that were ultimately called balls. So whether there was an appeal that was denied, like the batter did not swing, or there was no appeal and it was just a ball. Those were the pitches that I focused on because they were separate. They did not include any swing strikes or called strikes. What was the practical application of what you found? So I found that actually the, even these types of check swings related to swing strikes and strikeout percentage. So even though there was no overlap in the exact pitches, we could use this as a meaningful indicator to predict strikeouts going forward. Cool. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. You can check your swing if you wish. Is there a pitcher, as, from the perspective of someone who's into the psychology of the sport as much as you are, is there a pitcher out there for whom check swings is something that we should really be paying close attention to because they are particularly deceptive? Well, I did include a leaderboard in my article, which you can, you can check out. I guess this is maybe a good segue to move into my next article, but a pitcher that I really like for deception is Sonny Gray. And part of the reason I like Sonny Gray is because I think that the traditional metrics don't do his command justice, but also because he throws a bunch of different breaking balls that often are lumped in as like just a couple. And I think, you know, those are all basically thrown from the same release point. 
So keep an eye on Sonny Gray. He is often making hitters look silly. Nice. So you also did a piece, as you said, you did another one uh, related to our catcher target data. That's something that we track here that a lot of other sources don't. You were looking at meatball pitches, essentially pitches that are thrown in that middle third, middle third area. What were you looking for and what did you find? Yeah. So at the um, baseball operations department, something else that we do is pitch charting, which is basically we we uh, catalog the types of pitches that are thrown and also where the catcher sets up and where they ultimately end up. And I was really interested in looking at those catcher locations and ultimate pitch locations to determine command, the pitcher's command. Because traditionally, analysts kind of think of this distinction between command and control, and control being the ability to limit walks and command the ability to hit your spots consistently. Sometimes, you know, a pitcher who has really good command might opt for corner nibbling, so to speak, even when there's a three ball count. And, you know, you can look at the article for more on, on the kind of philosophical musings of this distinction. But the gist is that all everything we know about control doesn't just come from walk rate. So what more do you want to look at with regards to both of these things? Well, I think that there's some important psychological aspects when it comes to the middle middle pitch especially by count count offers a really important and salient cue for hitters and pitchers it's it's really the thing that's foremost in their minds when they're deciding for a pitcher whether they should throw a pitch in the strike zone what kind of pitch they should throw for a hitter whether they're going to get something that's worth swinging at and of course a pitch right down the middle is definitely something worth swinging at especially if it's fastball. But yeah, so that's something I'm really interested in is looking at these types of pitches by count. Alex Eisert of Sports Info Solutions, video scout for us, also works for Pitcher List. Just to close here, your video scout, the year's winding down for a lot of our video scouts here. It'll be an opportunity to apply again for many people for the 2023 season. What were your big takeaways from having this position? I really enjoyed watching a lot of baseball. And as a writer... A lot of the ideas that I get for my pieces come from watching baseball. Usually what happens is that I'll notice something and I'll be like, oh, I wonder if that happens, you know, a you know, statistically significant amount. And then that becomes a piece. So that was something I enjoyed. Everyone watches the game in their own way. We certainly welcome those <laughs> who like to watch it in volume here at Sports Info Solutions. Alex Eiser, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And for our closing segment, we always bring in Bobby Scales, our VP of Baseball here, and we've got a guest to go with him, Brandon Two, Operations Assistant. I have spent the last couple of weeks in scout school listening to the back and forth between Bobby and Brandon as they teach some of our video scouts the ins and outs of scouting different things. They're fun discussions. We're going to try and recreate some of them here. We're going to start with something that Brandon wrote about. He wrote about a guy who's having arguably the best offensive season in baseball, just not in the States. You've watched a good amount, as we do here. We watch a lot of NPB. You've watched a good amount of Munitaka Murakami. What have you seen? The best young hitter on the planet. Like, hitting prospect-wise, he's the best young hitter on the planet. And I don't think it's particularly close. The stuff he does at the plate is seasoned, and he's a veteran almost. But it's the confidence and the patience and the talent to go along, like I wrote it at the end of my article, it's everything combined. I think he's the best young hitter on the planet. 
say it with your chest, big boy. I like Seems that. Hot, there. But if you watch him on a on a nightly basis, and I tried to watch like months and months, so I watched like two months straight of him. The stuff he does in the batter's box, he plays with the flair and a confidence of like, let's say, a Latin player, but he's Japanese and he's just dominating his league right now. Like I understand it's in the MPB, but his bat control, his bat speed, his confidence in the box demands like respect of every pitcher he faces. Let me ask you a question. We there are, are you know the people listening to the podcast, they can absolutely go on and, and look at this this young man's stats, which are eye popping. They are. And here's the thing, I don't necessarily disagree with you. So tell us, so we just talked about scout school, right? So for those who don't know, one of the things we try to offer some of our our, our younger colleagues here at Sports Info Solutions is the opportunity to learn how to scout. And we run them through a, a scout school. And our guys, Josh Hoffer and 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 Noah Gatsik and and Brandon on the more so on the pitching side, and also Evan Butler, a fantastic job of pulling together different clips and and different curriculum that they would use that people have used either with the scouting bureau back in the day or with scout schools that are more commonly known now. And so we offer that to our young, some of our young associates and our colleagues here at Sports Info Solutions so that they can learn not just how to score the game the way we do it here, but also how a scout would look at the game. So from that perspective, I'm going to put you on the spot, Brandon. Tell me how he does it. We, we can see the what we see the output, but but break down this hitter as if you are writing a scouting report to a GM that needs to go over and sign this young man. So he does it with patience and an understanding of the hitting zone and where he can do his most damage. So he looks for pitches down, but he has the ability to cover the plate and hit off time and hit the ball hard off time. And then he does this with and almost looseness and smoothness to a swing. And I, I in the article, I compare it to uh, Matt Olson because mm-hmm. it actually looks really similar to what Matt Olson does. And both of those guys do a great job of creating leverage on the baseball. And then the bat speed speaks for itself. The mm. bat speed is there. And so the strength is there. And I saw him miss hit a baseball off of Sanga. And Sanga is one of the best pitchers over there. Miss hit a baseball opposite field and just bully it over the wall. And, and I don't know if and most guys can do what he's been doing at that stage in his career. And the way he goes about it is with the confidence and a, and a maturity of this is the pitch I'm looking for in this particular bat. And this is what I'm going to try to do until I get to two strikes. And once I get to two strikes, I can still hit the ball hard somewhere and try to get a base hit. That's the other thing. He gets the two strikes and he can still fight pitches off and, and get to a good pitch to hit. But he looks put, to do damage in certain parts of the zone. Put a number on the hit tool. 20 to 80. What do you got? Give it to me. I would say 6-5. I'm not going to okay. go 7, but it's 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 good. Raw power. That's 80. I mean, he... You're talking Stanton raw power. That's Stanton. That's that's Judge. That's those are guys with eight raw. He hits the ball out of the stadium over there, <laughs> like, like he hits the ball a long way. So let me let me paint another picture for a lot of scouts, especially young scouts, are deathly afraid to use the entire scale. We've got he's just dropped a sixty five and an eight on the hit tool and the raw power. So Brandon's definitely not afraid. I don't know if I go that high. I like it though. Keep going. What about the base? Let's go intangibles. Baseball IQ. 
You watched all these games. Most people haven't seen him play. Get tell the, give me give me give me a number. Twenty eighty baseball IQ. Five five. I think it's like I think it's above average, but it, there's room to grow. Okay. I do like the way he commands the zone. Like pitchers will attack him. He'll look up at the sky and be like, "Oh, okay, I got a cutter in. Cool. I'll just he can't command that pitch right now. I'm gonna wait for him to miss with that cutter on the inside part of the plate down, and I'm gonna crush it 435 feet." over the fence. So I, I like the way he thinks in the batter box too. Like he takes his time. He thinks about stuff when he misses it to baseball and gets frustrated. You can see it on his face. Like he wears emotion on his face too, that you can see him miss stuff and be like, Oh, I should have had that. So uh, I, I really like the way he commands the, the, the batter's box. That's good stuff. Listen, this, this young man is a tremendous player. I don't know where he is in his in his track towards posting or right. what interest he has coming over. He's 23. I believe is he a high school sign or is he a college? Oh, yeah, he was uh, a high school there. guy, straight out of high school, second guy taken. There was this other guy ahead of him who was this can't miss prospect, and he ended up being the can't miss guy. So so I mean, if I'm not depending on his service time, I'm not exactly sure how it works over there, but let's just say he got to the big leagues at 19 or 20. He's three or four years deep. It's eight years over there. So hopefully at some point in his mid prime or prime, we can we can get a chance to see him over here because he really is in and his progression is striking for me. That's one thing you always want to look at with young players is are they continuing to get better and not just the numbers output. You want to see that the the their underlying stuff, the contact rates, the strikeout rates, the walks are going up. Are these things are these things getting better? How how many balls are they hitting hard? Because ultimately at the end of the day, if a guy hits the ball hard a lot, chances are he's going to to improve in the in the numbers that we all, you know, uh, usually look at whether it be batting average, the traditional stats, RBIs, homers, or you know, OPS and 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 slugging and, and OPS plus. Those things will get better as a player there's this kind of, there's two there's two curves there's the physical curve and then there's the mental curve and when those things intersect and they intersect to the point where they can stay on the same level for a long time that's when you get a really good generational player so he's exciting he is fun to watch so go on youtube go where you need to go find out where you can get an mpb game it is very difficult we're fortunate here that we work here that we have resources where we can but they're hard to find they are doable but find them watch this young man play he is tremendous so I, I can I fully sign off on that, Brandon. Three forty-one batting average, twelve hundred OPS, fifty-two home runs, an RBI a game at the time of taping. So we'll give him an eighty for watchability for sure. Bat flips eighty-two. He bat flips like no one's business. <laughs> nice. Let's let's stay with Japanese-born player. Let's go to the major leagues. I know you want to talk. Both of you want to talk about Shohei Otani. So feel free. Uh, I do, Mark. And it was really I, I was literally running errands last night going to the grocery store and listening to Ryan Spielborg's on, on MLB on uh yeah, MLB network radio in the afternoon, him and CJ Nikowski. And they were talking about the MVP race. And I do believe that Aaron judge is the most valuable player of the American league this year. I stand on that. So, but then I went, he, you know, Spilly was talking about, you know, why it's not a runaway and it's not a runaway because of what Shohei Otani is doing now. I have been an outspoken proponent of Shohei Otani because people, it's hard enough to do what he's doing on one side of the ball, but to do what he's doing both as a pitcher and a hitter is utterly ridiculous. And again, this year, he's doing the same thing again on a team that is bad. And for anybody out there who's ever played and been good on a bad team, it is extremely difficult to do being good on a bad team because 
either one of two things is happening. You're pressing because no one's pitching to you or you're not, or you have extreme discipline and you're not really, you're not really getting anything to hit and you're walking a ton because teams aren't pitching to you, right? 267, 358, 533, 891 OPS for 149 OPS plus. He's 49% better than the regular major leaguer. That's hitting 32 homers. Pitching, it's even more ridiculous. He's 11 and 8 with a 258 ERA. We know ERA is old school stats. Okay, you want to do something else? He's got a 254 FIP. ERA plus is 156. He's 56% better than the average major league pitcher as a pitcher. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He's doing both on a bad team. I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. 139, 136 innings, 109 hits, uh, 181 tickets, 38, 33 walks. He doesn't walk anybody and he punches tickets left and right. It's ridiculous. This guy is the best player on the planet. Case closed. We can move on. Brandon, just add to my argument because I'm right. <laughs> Brandon, well, just tell us about what he's what he's added to his repertoire. Yeah. I, well, this is like you Darvish levels of adding stuff to your repertoire just out of nowhere. Like he added a two-seamer that is 100 miles an hour and moves like 18 to 16 inches and starts in the other batter's box and ends up on the outside part of the plate or starts on – the outside part of the plate and ends up on the other side of the plate. Like the stuff he's able to do on the mound. I did his last start, I believe. And he threw, I want to say 18 two seamers and he wasn't throwing that two seamer until August. So like he's, he, he's just adding pitches that make his, his repertoire that much better. Cause I think numbers wise and, and the way his four seam has performed, like it hasn't been as good as he wants it to be. And he still uses it. But he's added this two-seamer that now, like, rounds out his arsenal where he's still attacking guys with his slider up and he manipulates the slider speed. I mean, he throws one at, like, 90 where he manipulates and and, and dive bombs in, in the dirt. And then he'll throw one at 86 up in the zone. He's, I mean, he's getting guys to miss by manipulating his arsenal. And then he has that nasty split to go along with it. So it, it, and, and will do so in game. Right, those, are the, game, kind of, make those the are the kinds of guys. I, I'll I'll tell you a quick story. So the, the, those are the kind of guys you hated seeing when you were playing. Right, you you would always, you would always the the guys that just threw hard and they were very rigid and it was like, I'm going to throw it harder or I'm going to I'm going to break off this nasty slider or oh two they're always throwing this or one two they're always throwing that. Those are the guys you didn't really fear because you could game plan for them and you and, and if you you know even if you weren't a real student of the game and you didn't want to think along with them, you could prepare for that guy. The guys that I hated facing, and there's this guy, and I, he's on, you know, he's he, we're friends at this point because we're we're both old and we're over it. But Willie Collazo, a little left-handed pitcher, he had some time with the Mets. I played against him in AAA for 105 years because we were both in AAA forever, whether it be in the PCL or the IL. And and Mark, you're smiling because you know he, he I think he got a cup of coffee, a couple starts with the Mets, maybe left-handed pitcher, little Cuban guy. He's actually the the pitching coach at uh, I think it's Florida International. Great dude. And it, you just you just get a mutual respect for competing against a guy for that long. But Willie would make up a pitch from a different arm angle that you've never seen from him before just because he, you know, he got to figure out a way to get you out. And you hate those guys who are able to just take something and, and just and just all of a sudden he throws it in the game. You're like, I've I played against you since we were 20 and I've never seen that pitch before. And all of a sudden you threw it to me in a game. And then clearly Otani is is a better pitcher. And that's no slight to Willie. Otani is a better pitcher than most people. 
The point is his ability to take that with his just raw stuff and take that into a game and then do that is otherworldly. And that's why for me, again, I said it, he's the best player on the planet. I love other guys, Trout, Mookie, Betts, Judge. Shohei Otani is the best baseball player on earth, period. Yeah, I mean, he's doing little league stuff in the majors. <laughs> with grown men who are really good yeah. at the game, too. Yeah, exactly. And when you hear other former players talk about how hard it is to just do one side of 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 the game. And yeah, I mean, he's he's incredible. And it's it's elite stuff coupled with a willingness to change and adapt on the fly to get guys out. It's unbelievable. We're going to save Aaron Judge for next time. I do want to do one other thing here because you brought up pitching. Brandon is our pitching. He's our our pitching equivalent of of the ninja. It's way too much pitching going on right now. Let's talk talk about something that you wanted to just chat about briefly. Fastball command and two pitchers this year who have really impressed you with their fastball command, which then sets up their other stuff. I'll start with Edwin Diaz because as a a Mets guy, you you probably, probably love that. I mean, his... His fastball command to the to the glove side has been phenomenal. Like it's been great. And it sets up the slider in a way that guys have to almost cheat to it. And you'll see some awful swings on his slider. His slider is probably the best breaking pitch in baseball right now. I mean, one of the best breaking pitches in baseball. And I think he stole that. Or DeGrom got into his ear and was like, hey, dude, throw glove side. Like you're you're, you're you can command glove side part of the plate. And just dominate that side of the plate. And, and DeGrom is the same way. Like DeGrom does the exact same thing. And that's why the, the Mets are so tough to face when you have DeGrom for seven innings and then you and then you get to Diaz as the closer. And those guys are just throwing fastballs down away, down away, down away, slider off of it. Like it's it's hard to hit. Another guy who I've just I've seen a lot of because I watched a lot of Atlanta, Atlanta Braves this year is, is Spencer Strider. Like Spencer Strider, his fastball command has taken a leap forward, and his stuff is so good that he can spray the zone, stay in the middle of the zone with his fastball. He can get guys out because his fastball, people talk about there's 100 and then there's 100 in quotation marks. It's a little different when you when you watch him pitch. It kind of jumps at guys. It, it has that ride and carry to it, but he's starting to command the upper part of the zone, the lower part of the zone, and then work his slider off of it. Like he doesn't even use his changeup yet, his third pitch. And he's going to have to next year. But for right now, guys seeing him the first time, he can just spot that fastball and throw the slider off of it. And we saw what he did the other night, striking out 16 guys. Like he's he's taken a leap forward as a pitcher too, as a young guy who's realized fastball command is very important for me. Well, I, first of all, you're absolutely right with those two. And the thing that – let's start with Diaz. In your in your assessment of him, the thing that I love about Diaz, right? And I'm a for people who don't know, I'm a big fan of leadership, leadership development. People who write and talk about leadership, I'm a massive fan of Tony Dungy, and I'm a massive fan of Herm Edwards. And Herm Edwards always says, "What is your number one ability? Is availability, right? If you look at Diaz's page, this cat goes to the post, man." 49, his, you know, 20, going back to 2016, 49 games, 66 games, 73 games, 66 games, 26 games in COVID short in 2020, 63 last year. And he's, he's got 53 this year on pace. He's going to end up right around the mid sixties. 
for a reliever, that's going to the post. You show up. He's ready to pitch every night. And, you know, he had that blip out in Seattle where it was or the first year with the Mets where it was just brutal. But other than that, he's guy's been nails. He's been absolutely nails. And to your point, he's figured out the Grom helped him figure it out. Just nail that with his arsenal, nail that glove side heater and then throw the slider in the same spot. And they got to make a choice because you can't hit both. It's hard to hit one of them, and that's in that slider is one thing. It reminds me, it's Carlos Marmol with fastball command. Mm. I, I know, I know, very good professional hitters that intentionally would not swing against Marmol, and they're and they, you know, they, dude, you're not, you don't even look like you're swinging. He goes, no, because you can't hit the slider anyway, and he's not going to throw a fastball for a strike. So he's going to have to throw me three three sliders for a strike. And I know a guy who did that six times against him. He struck out once, walked five times. The difference is. Diaz can nail that outside that outside corner glove side with the heater, and now you're really in trouble. So that's impressive. Spencer Strider's unbelievable, and, and again, you know, it's it's funny how these things work. You know, we're here, we're doing our jobs. I live in Atlanta, we're doing our jobs. You always have your head down, and you spend time with the kids, or whatever this, that, and the other. I, I say kids. I have one, my son. You know, doing whatever we do. You know, we're 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 running our business here with SIS and. Next thing you know, you know, I all, all I hear is I just see you chatting all the time. You know, hit me up on uh, on 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 Teams about Spencer Strider, Spencer Strider. So you know, I I actually turned on a game one day, and I saw this young man work, and I made it a point to watch his entire outing. And everything you're saying is absolutely the truth. And, and one thing I point to, people, we talked about scouting earlier, right? Well, what's the difference between command and control? Command is throwing strikes. I'm sorry, control is throwing strikes. Command is throwing the ball where you want to, when you want to. Spencer Strider's always had acceptable numbers as far as throwing strikes. You know, 3.8 walks per nine throughout the minor leagues, 3.9 walks per nine last year. Generally speaking, anything, usually anything under four and a half is considered okay. Under four is pretty good. Under five is you may want to think about doing something else. Or at five, you want to think about doing something else, right? He's gone from 3.9 walks uh, walks per nine down all the way down to three this year. Now that indicates better what control. But what you're talking about is a separator between a pitcher who's doing well and a pitcher who's really turning the corner. He's throwing the baseball where he wants to when he gets ready with all his pitches. That's a major league pitcher. That's a major league pitcher, and that's a top of the rotation major league pitcher. And on top of that, not only is he throwing it where he wants to, he's punching tickets too. Thirteen point seven Ks per nine. I mean, what is it, 114 innings pitched? He's got 174 tickets. He's putting people in the truck, and he's doing so without walking a bunch of hitters. That is impressive stuff. So, you know, they got a good one down here in Atlanta. It's no mystery as to why. I love it as much as I can love a pitcher. It's great eighty watchability, which I think is what we will call this segment. Brandon and Bobby, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mark. And this wraps up this week's episode. You can follow us on Twitter at SIS underscore baseball. You can find our content at sportsinfosolutions.com. If you want to follow myself, Bobby, Alex, or Brandon on Twitter, check the show notes for their handles. For those guys, along with Christian Walker and our producer Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.